Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. One of the great things we get to do at this show is to meet entrepreneurs who have started up innovative new businesses. And now that we've been doing it for a few years, we get to do something that's arguably even more interesting. We get to talk to these entrepreneurs a couple of years later to see how they're doing. When we first met Libby Fisher, she had recently taken the helm as the CEO of an education startup called Whetstone. Whetstone takes all the scraps of paper, file folders, binders, reports, and years-long email chains that go with school teaching and assembles them into functional packages of data that can then be used to train teachers to do a better job. The day Libby was on out to lunch, she was going from here at Commander's Palace to the airport for what she told us was a meeting in New York. The meeting, we later found out, was actually a Hail Mary pass to try to save the company by bringing in new clients and revenue. And it worked. Whetstone has grown its clients and revenue to 10 times the size it was when we first met Libby two years ago. Libby, congratulations and uh, welcome back out to lunch. Thanks, Peter. When we first met Haley Burns two years ago, her new venture, Fund 17, was little more than a pitch. It was a great idea to take what we in New Orleans call a side hustle and turn it into a business. The concept was to grow the side hustler into a legitimate entrepreneur by giving him or her some business skills and a micro loan. Well, two years later, Fund 17 is a full-time operation with a range of community partners and a list of success stories from an urban organic farm to a donut shop. Haley, congratulations and welcome back to Out to Lunch. Glad to be here. Now Libby, I'll start with you. Starting up a new business comes with a million struggles. Often everything is only one bad day away from totally collapsing. Uh, but to grow a business, you not only need a great product, but you have to be able to sell it. Obviously, given your impressive track record from the day you left our lunch meeting two years ago, you've perfected the art of sales. Uh, how about giving us a glimpse into your business life, and what is your basic cold call sales pitch for Whetstone? Wow. Um, well, Peter, I think you're, you're being a little generous. I wouldn't say that I perfected the art of sales yet. I read your book. I <laughs> <laughs> But I will say that I think the art of our sales and how we close deals is we make it really easy for the customer to visualize what life is like with Whetstone. And we take every step of the sales process, which we realized we were making it a little opaque for people. How, how the process worked, what, it, what training looks like, what the first month, first year looks like with Whetstone. And we just clarified it for people. So we, I think bringing simplicity and clarity into um, both the sales process and the implementation process and what life is like once you've got the product has been a huge, um, a huge boon to our sales. It's well, interesting to simplify mm -hmm. it. It's, that's what's worked for us. Yeah. And I, I think the other piece is um, our, we've been able to leverage the partners that we work with, our clients that we do have. They are our greatest source of 
um, new business. The, that meeting in New York, the school, um, school district that we work with is sort of the, on the cutting edge of this type of teacher coaching and feedback. What was that organization called? It's called again? Uncommon Schools. Ah. It's a, a Why start with a common school, right? Exactly. So it's a, a network of 50 schools in New York, New Jersey, and Boston. And there are principals from all over the U.S. that are going to Uncommon Schools just on a whim to see what they're doing because they're very successful. So they'll see the school leaders using Whetstone, and we'll get a call the next Monday saying, we want Whetstone. And um, we've been able to identify a few key strategic partners like that, build relationships, and, and have deals with them. And then they just sort of organically send more business to us. Now, so Libby, that's key. who is your customer? It's not, not the teacher, is it the, is it the principal? Who, who do you approach? It's sort of a two-parter. It's either a principal, if it's only a one-off school that's using Whetstone. So the principal is the one who, principal and instructional coaches are the ones who are inputting the data, feedback, notes, et cetera, into the tool and analyzing the data in order to personalize PD for their teachers. So really the value comes to them by having reports saying um, these specific teachers need help with classroom management and these other 10 teachers need help with lesson planning. So that the leader can provide really targeted PD. So you're, you're coming in and trying to figure out how that teacher could do a better job? Well, Whetstone isn't. That's the principal's job. Okay. And so Whetstone is the tool where the principal who's in classrooms every day, taking notes, providing feedback, practicing with teachers, they put everything into Whetstone. And through our data analytics, we can show them a pie chart of where teachers are struggling, where teachers are have been receiving feedback. And the goal of all of this is for the teachers to be to get really targeted professional development. So if I've got 10 teachers struggling with classroom management, eight struggling with lesson planning, rather than putting all 18 in one room and talking about one subject, we can separate the two, give really targeted development and practice in both areas, and um, help them grow in areas that are targeted to them. Do you get to see the results of your labor? Do you get to see a, a teacher uh, one way and then a uh, year later or so get to see the, what they've become? Yeah, in our reporting, we can look at the, the teacher's performance longitudinally. So from year one to year three or year five, it's incredible to see the amount of growth that they've, um, that they've had on whatever evalu evaluation instruments being used. Haley, as you grow a list of success stories with Fund 17, you're able to demonstrate uh, to investors uh, that you know, you're investing in the community and you're a financially solid group that does their due diligence and things like that. Uh, as the process goes on, I imagine it becomes increasingly easier to attract new money. When that happens and you have investors knocking on your door wanting to give you money, is there a business model that uh, returns capital to Fund 17? For example, would you take an equity stake in a business or uh, is the game plan to keep it a non-for-profit uh, incubator? Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, we are planning on staying nonprofit. Um, we focus on a, a part of the market that's really being ignored by everyone else. We call them invisible businesses. Invisible businesses. You know, businesses. people that are running businesses out of their house, the people that are showing up on the street corner for the parades. And unfortunately, if we were, if we're going to, you know, stay committed to uh, serving that part of the market, we really have to look for ways to drive revenue from somewhere else and not from the people that are benefiting from our services. So with that, you know, we're looking at how to be able to tell a really good story about the impact that we're creating. Um, we're looking at how to make sure that we have the numbers showing these businesses are growing. We talk a lot about creating sustainable livelihoods through our work. So being able to show that someone is 
on the path to being able to support themselves from this business, being able to demonstrate that, that impact is happening and that we're making progress with the people that we're working with, that's our business model. That's our sales pitch to donors, that's how we can keep people engaged. Um, but we'll continue to have to, to go that path rather than actually drive revenue from the people that we're serving. You know, Haley, when I look at what you're doing, there's a lot of moving parts, so I have to ask mm. you, what part gives you the most stress? Like, what keeps you up at night? Is, You've got to get the right volunteers, you've got right. to get donors. What, what's the toughest part? Uh, I think getting getting the donors is the toughest part, especially because even though we have grown so much since I was last on the show, um, we are still working to kind of prove that we're the, the right people for the job. And we're, we also have to really explain a lot about the type of people that we're serving and the approach that we take. It's not something a lot of people have heard about before. They might have heard of microfinance in like an international context or right. something like that, but um, you know, it takes some time for people to really understand who we are, what we're about, what we do. Um, and I think that we're on the, the path to kind of establishing that, but being able to really sell that to the people that are responsible for making sure that we stay funded, that's, yeah. that's definitely stressful, especially Wh as we have been growing so Where much. do you find the businesses? Um, from a number of different paths. Um, so, like I explained with the story with Kulu, we were out doing some surveying, and that was something that we used to do a while, uh, a while back a lot, and we're trying to start doing that again and really be out in the community knocking on doors and talking to people and looking for these invisible businesses. Um, but as we have grown and established partnerships and we've started working with more entrepreneurs, word of mouth does its job, and yeah. we just have people coming to us every week um, asking for help getting started or looking for funding. Yeah. Um, and also with our partnership with Kiva, we are responsible for um, advising on any loan application that started in the state of Louisiana. So people that might naturally hear about Kiva by doing a Google search or looking for microfinancing in New Orleans, they're going to hear about Kiva, they're going to start that loan application, and then we're automatically going to be able to reach out to them and start working with them. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. My guests are Haley Burns, founder of New Orleans micro lender and small business incubator Fund17, and Libby Fisher, CEO of Education Business Success Story, Whetstone. Libby, I've got to ask you about when you're meeting with these principals and such, how are they defining success? What is success in education today? We hear a lot about everything being skewed towards testing and such. Yeah. When it comes to the, the metrics that we look at to measure success, we think a lot around teacher satisfaction, teacher retention rates. It is critical to keep um, your best performing teachers in, in your school and in, in the classroom. And so we think a lot about how long a teacher is staying at a school. Um, does a teacher feel like they are intellectually challenged, um, you know, professionally challenged, like they are growing professionally? Those, those sorts of metrics is, is what we look at. So we do lots of our own sort of uh, surveying within, the, within Whetstone and um, outside of Whetstone in addition to the performance evaluation numbers. Um, I think one thing I have learned with working with now 300 schools nationally, um, people measure success differently everywhere. And some really focus on the quantitative side of things, trying to get, you know, distill it down to a number, and some focus on qualitative metrics. And it really just depends on, on the school. And I think both can be effective in terms of retaining teachers, making sure your teachers are satisfied, and having strong classroom outcomes. I've seen really I've seen schools with either quantitative or qualitative have 
equal student outcomes. So it really depends on the culture that the school leader has set, and if the teachers are bought into that culture, um, that sort of model is going to be successful. How do New Orleans schools stack up against the rest of the country? And the reason I ask that is we're so differently structured now. We're, mm -hmm. I guess, 100% charter schools now. Sure. I think New Orleans schools are on, on the same high level that our really high-achieving partners in New York, D.C., Denver. I've got a lot of other things to ask you, but Livy Haley, you're at the point in your businesses now where things start to go right. Uh, when that happens, it's often surprising who comes out of the woodwork. Uh, in light of that, it's time for the part of the show we call your brother-in-law. <laughs> your brother-in-law was waiting while he got his tires rotated on his truck, and he got so bored he read the business section of the paper. And he read about how well you're doing. And next thing you know, he's picking up the phone and calling you. Uh, Libby, your brother-in-law tells you he's got a great idea. He's going to help you out. It's time to take Whetstone International. He spent two weeks in Tokyo last year, and he'd love to go back. And there's nobody that can chat up young women school teachers better than him. He'll be your man in Tokyo. All you have to do is get him an apartment for six months and he'll take care of the airfare and everything else. What do you say? Are you ready to go international? I would hang up the phone. Right. <laughs> um, no, we, I, I think in this scenario, the first thing I would say to my brother-in-law is, oh, tell me about the observation feedback practices in, in Tokyo. What do you know about them? And that would kind of gauge whether or not he's serious in terms of his understanding of the opportunity in Tokyo. We have gotten inquiries from South Africa, the United Kingdom, um, Peru, different places. And one thing that we've had to adjust to, one issue we've run into is our pricing model. Um, because schools aren't funded in other countries the way they are here. Now in some places, like Finland and the UK, the schools have a lot more money than they do here. Um, in South Africa, it's, it's very different. So um, that's one thing that if we were to go international, we'd have to look really critically at um, what resources schools are working with in order to target. The good thing for you is there's more non-stops out of New Orleans than there were before. They, yes. uh, now Haley, your brother-in-law has an awesome idea. You can help him take his side hustle to the next level. His business is called Leftover Pills. How it, <laughs> <laughs> how it works is people who don't finish their prescriptions log on to an app. Your brother-in-law collects the leftover pills, makes full doses out of them, and passes them on to people with a prescription at a fraction of the cost. It's a healthcare win-win. What do you say? Can he get a loan from you? <laughs> You know, it's really funny because we get these questions every once in a while about, have you ever had someone come to you with a really bad business idea and how do you handle that? And I've been really fortunate that we really haven't had that problem, but if my brother-in-law came to me with this, it would probably be the first time that I would have to say, this is a really horrible idea. Um, so no, we would not be giving a loan to something that sounds wildly illegal. Yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess people have prescriptions. He seems to maybe trying to bridge that problem. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but I think that uh, if someone has some sort of business idea like this, there could be other stuff going on. So, you know, keep the conversation going, see what else can maybe be there, <laughs> see if there's something that we can run with. But no, this brother-in-law would not be getting a right. loan now, for this business. Now, besides the illegalities, which I, I know this is the way most stories start in our <laughs> nation's prisons, but um, what kind of things would you on your list when somebody comes to you? Oh, we, we ask every single question that we can to get an understanding of how they make their decisions, how they got their business started, who they're getting their customers from, how are they setting their prices, where do they want to be the end of the year in three years and five years. The first time you sit down with 117, it's, it's 
basically just like a big conversation full of questions. Um, and the way that we train our fellows is we talk a lot about, you know, if you uh, had to leave that business meeting and go make a decision on behalf of the business, would you be able to do that? And keep that in mind as you're asking those questions. So it is, you know, it's, it, it's building, building on a conversation. So you want to hear kind of what they're saying and then you ask them why and you build on that. How, like, where did you come to that from? How did you get into this business? Every conversation is different because every person is different and every business is different. Um, but we definitely do try to ask as many questions as possible about, you know, how did they get into it? How do they go about making their product or their service? How do they get the word out? Um, do customers keep coming back? You know, lots I, of things. But one point I was going to ask you is that, you know, we talk about how the way a banker would do due diligence. You're talking to people who, you know, they don't have the background to answer some of these questions. How do you do it and make everybody comfortable? Yeah, so we're not really asking them to bring financial projections and reports to us, and a banker is going to ask for that. Um, we will ask about, you know, what is your estimated revenue every year? Or how much are you paying yourself um, from this? And if you are, how much? Um, and we are very understanding of estimates and that these are things that are usually coming off the top of their head and that they don't have QuickBooks that has all of their you know, accounts there with all of those numbers. Um, and I think that we lead the conversation in a way to where they do understand that we get them, we're patient with them, um, we're not expecting them to have all of these answers because that's what we're here for. We're here to help you get those answers over time. So that's another thing that we really emphasize with this kind of getting started asking questions, learning about the business is if they don't know the answer, be like, okay, well, that's a great thing to, we'll make that a goal. That's something we're going to work on is being able to answer that question. And is the bottom line, Haley, can they pay back this loan? No, the bottom line is more about is this something that can actually sustain their livelihood? You know, um, if we're going to be helping them through the loan application process, obviously we're looking at are they, can you afford this? Is debt a good idea for you? Um, but you know, the microfinancing is only one aspect of what we do. And so the, the bigger question is, is this something that we can make sustainable? Um, is this something that you're really passionate about? And if it is, like, let's work together and make it something that can be a reality. We haven't seen either of you in a couple of years. Let's say we bring you back in another couple of years because, you know, you like eating here. And uh, <laughs> what, what, what would the story be like then? I'll, I'll, I'll start, start with you, Libby. There's so many different scenarios that I've got in my head for that two-year picture, but I think the ideal one would be that Whetstone is in, we're in 300 schools now, we'd like to be in 1,000 in two years. Well. And uh, that's a big jump, we know, so we've got a lot of, of work to do. But um, I think in terms of the amount of schools that we work with and also our team structure, um, Kind of like you said, Peter, in the beginning, it's a series of things going wrong or dangling by a thread. And now we've had a little bit of time to breathe and think about um, our values as a company and who we want to make a part of this team. So um, I can't wait for the day when we have a CFO and I no longer have to um, be in You're the one that position responsible well, for the spreadsheets. Uh, thankfully, we just brought someone on to do, do some of that work. But um, to have you know a high-level strategy person um, working on that and, and people to, to own the, the sales side of things. Because um, I, I think in my job description, I probably still have six or seven roles, and I'd like to narrow that down to one or two uh, in a couple of years. So that, that's, that's my vision. That'd be a good vision. goal. Yeah. I, I, this yeah. <laughs> I can certainly empathize with that being yeah. a goal over the next two years, to be able to bring on more staff and be able to kind of narrow down my focus as the leader of the organization to not doing everything, but... Uh, <laughs> more focus, definitely. So uh, more loans, more people you're working with, and just bigger 
a bigger, stronger staff to have you do it. Yeah, absolutely. Right now we're focusing a lot on this concept of building community. So as we have started to grow and we're working with more entrepreneurs every week, um, we really want to turn that into some sort of um, network where people can tap into resources, get advice from each other. You know, there's lots of these uh, centers or incubators around the city for these high level types of entrepreneurs where they can go for mentorship and there's trainings and they know that there's kind of a space for them. Right. And that's something that we're really trying to uh, build up to over the next couple of years to really uh, create a community for these types of entrepreneurs to work together, learn from each other and succeed. Haley, Libby, even though we here at Out to Lunch have nothing whatsoever to do with your respective successes, we're proud of both of you and happy uh, to be able to spread the good news about your achievements. I hope we get to meet back here in another couple of years and hear more good news. It's been a pleasure to see you both again, and thank you both for taking the time to join me in Out to Lunch. Thanks, Thanks so much. <laughs> My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Libby Fisher, CEO of Whetstone, and Haley Burns, founder and executive director of Fund17. You can find out more about Libby's education and Haley's incubation by following the links on our websites. It's neworleans.com and wwno.org. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday, with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Moore. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our researcher is Matthew Ellison. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitchell's music is available wherever great jazz is sold, streamed, or stolen, and at MitchellForeman.com. You can get this show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows. You can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, www.wwno.org and itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on our website and Facebook page. These photos were taken today by Allison Moon. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business. New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp.